Good morning, family. So glad to see everyone here on this, the last day of 2023. <laughs> Some people are happy for that, so that's great. Uh, we are going to be starting a new series next week uh, in 2024. Uh, we're going to be spend the first part of the year starting going, working through the book of Proverbs, so you can look forward to that. You can start reading the book of Proverbs if you so wish to prepare for what that is. And we're going to be talking about wisdom for life and how God gives us wisdom for life and how he guides us in that and how uh, that's a good thing to follow God and and the wisdom he's giving us. And so uh, you can be looking forward to that. But I thought Since this is the last Sunday, the last day of 2023, let's just do a little year in review and then talk about the church. I think it's the the universal church, but also this church and what is the mission of the church. And so when you think about the year in review, when we think about 2023, this just here, we spent 29 weeks traveling through the book of Exodus and people are like, wow, is that all? It felt longer. But we spent 29 weeks traveling through the book of Exodus. We spent 16 weeks uh, traveling through First and Second Thessalonians, and four weeks in the Advent preparing for the coming of uh, the birth of Jesus and Chris, as we celebrate Christmas. We had five small groups meeting on a regular basis that have now birthed another one. And so coming this semester, we'll have six small groups going out from now on. We served at the Hope Campus uh, 12 times. The food pantry did several food giveaways to people in need, including 50 Thanksgiving dinners to people in need. The youth has grown to about almost 20 youth coming on a Wednesday night. The kids have grown grown, and about the same number of kids back there every time. The church financially has been doing okay. Uh, I say okay because we're, we're making all of our commitments, which is good and okay. And so if you don't know, we, we recently built this building. And then so at the, was it this June of this year? Gina said yes. I looked towards her advice. It was June this year. We started paying more the fuller payment, which is not just the interest, but also the principal for this building, and we've been able to pretty much do it. So that is good. Uh, but also, we always want to be looking for the future of how we can expand the mission. Is there uh, the support of, of this church? You give financially doesn't just support this this building and what we do here, but we support uh, the mission of Young Life, which is an outreach organization for high schoolers in this this city, so that high schoolers who would never go to church can hear about Jesus Christ. We support Lamp, which is down in Guatemala, as they're teaching uh, the mom people how to read in their own language, so that they can read God's word in their own language. We support LDI and through the form of Ted and Emily as they help lead that, that uh, ministry and that uh, missionary organization and uh, teaching people how to read in their own language. And so we've done a whole lot. There's probably stuff I haven't even mentioned. So that's just a year in view of our church. And so we've done a lot. You, know, you can look around and say, oh, there's all these different kind of avenues in which we're going. And so it raises the question, at least to me, what is the mission of the church? How are all these things related? Why are we doing these things? What is the mission of the church? And I think we find, I would argue, we find the mission of the church when we look to some of the last words that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. But before we go there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this year the ups and downs, the what-have-yous that might be going on in our own lives or even the church life or in our family's lives. 
We still thank you for another year in which we were able to live life, to glorify you, to be with loved ones, to be together with this church family. And Lord, we look forward, forward to the future of this next year and what you would have it in store for us, how you would be moving in it for us to be serving you, loving you, and loving our neighbor. Lord, I pray for this time as we open up your word and we, we see what you would have us see as the mission of the church, that we can be moved by it, that we can grow by it. Maybe we can even be challenged by it as it tells us what we should be focusing on. It guides us in how we should be working as your people. Lord, let us be your people, not just in thought or word, but also in deed. Let us be people who love as you love, who give as you give, who proclaim as you call us to proclaim. Let us be yours in all that we do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will be in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. If you want to read it from a physical, physical Bible, in front of you there is Bibles under chairs. and It will be on page 784 if you want to flip there. This is the last words recorded of Jesus, the last interaction recorded of Jesus before he was taken up heaven according to the gospel of Matthew. And so it starts like this in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, when I was doing the, the review, the, the year in review, I forgot actually some of the most exciting things, which is that we celebrated nine baptisms this year. I just, that actually crossed my mind again as I read about baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is that we celebrated nine people who said, yes, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I want the world to know it which is a great thing. But when we read this in Matthew 28, and we think about what this means and how would we encompass this mission, I'm just going to use the mission statement of our church because I, that's what it's directly taken from. The mission of our, statement of our church, you can see it when you walk in through those doors. It's plastered on the wall right in front of there. It says, the mission of River Valley Community Church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What that means is, is what... Jesus gives the disciples that command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is what that mission statement is trying to encompass, is that the mission of the church is to do what Jesus has commanded us to do here. That to go out and proclaim the truth of who he is. To make disciples, people who believe in who Jesus is, Disciples who make disciples. People who want to proclaim that to everyone they know. The mission of the church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church is to go and make disciples. When you read this text, you have to realize the, 
the whole foundation of the, of the disciples' understanding shifted very recently. It talks about how the 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain which he told them to go to, and it says when they saw him, they worshipped. Their, their foundation of their very lives had shifted. These are disciples, these 11 disciples, the ones that remained faithful to Jesus, they had seen him already after the res- resurrection. They at least had seen him twice in the upper room. You know, Thomas wasn't there at the beginning, and then he came back almost just for Thomas. They had seen him, you know, on the sea of, uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee as uh, he restored Peter to, uh, kind of restored him from Peter from denying Christ. They had seen him before as he comes and he, he said, receives the Holy Spirit. Some disciples, we don't know which ones, had seen him as they walked from the road of Emmaus uh, uh, and had uh, been taught by Jesus about how all of the Old Testament, all the teachings of the prophets and the law found their fulfillment and culmination in him. And so they had experienced this truth that Jesus was still alive, actually not still alive, he was alive again, that he had been crucified and he had, he's now back and so they knew this. And so when they arrived back on the mountain and they see him, they worshiped him. Why? Because the whole foundation of their understanding has shifted. This, this, this small little statement, they worshiped him, this is actually one of the first times it's actually applied to Jesus. In the book of Matthew, the other first time was when the women saw Jesus after he came out of the grave. What did they do? They worshiped him. Why? Because they saw this truth that he was risen. The death could not hold him. He was alive. It vindicated all that he had taught. It now had shifted their fundamental understanding that he could no longer just be a prophet sent from God, which they thought he was. He could no longer just be the fulfillment of, of David's son who's going to sit on his throne. No, he could no longer just be a good teacher or a rabbi that they were following. But now they had to understand that what he was saying, when he actually was saying he was God, was true. And so they worshipped him. Because they knew the truth of who he was. Now we as Christians say, of course they worshipped him. He's Jesus. That's who we worship. But you have to realize these were first century Jewish people who were born in a culture where they only worshipped Yahweh and that was it. The whole storyline of God's people was how people messed up and went away to idols and they would never worship someone else. They worshipped Jesus. Why? They knew he was God. And the shifting of their whole foundation had been completed as they saw him and they worshipped him. I love that little tag line that says, but some doubted. It's an interesting phrase that they worshiped him, but some doubted. You can read some people who say, well, that might be referring to other people who weren't disciples. They doubted that Jesus was right, was truly risen, or he was truly the Messiah, or he truly was God, and so they were doubting. But I think when you put it next to each other in that sentence, it seems like they were worshiping, but they might have still had some doubts. I don't know about you, but that comforts me to the extreme. Because who doesn't have some doubts? Who doesn't, when they're thinking about Jesus, when they're thinking about God, and they're reading the Bible, and they know his word, and how he's moving heaven and earth to bring a redemption plan, how he wants what's going on in our lives to be for our good. And he's using these things to grow us, to make us more Christ-like, and we trust that. But then we look at life, and we go, what is going on? How is this to my good. 
It's easy to doubt and wonder if this is true. And it gives me great comfort that these disciples who saw Jesus in the flesh after resurrection didn't have it all figured out. But they could still worship. And I think that is a place that we all are, is that we can actually come to a place where we understand we don't have it all figured out. We don't need to explain how God is working in every single situation. We actually don't even need to be able to wrap our arms and our minds around God exhaustively and say, this is how God operates in this world. Because we can't. And if we could, it wouldn't be a God worthy of worship that we were understanding. But we can get to a place where we can worship him even as we have doubts, even as we explore the word of God or talk with our friends as a, in godly counsel and we explore those doubts and put them to rest and see how we can trust who God is. But when we read, when we read this, the disciples came face to face with a resurrection reality that Jesus had riven, risen from the grave that Jesus was who he said he is. And when you take that to today, to us, we all are living in that reality. The whole world is now living in that reality. And so the whole world has to come to grips. Each one of us has to come to grips with who is Jesus. We have to come to grips and, and, and face him and look him through this word, in the face, so to speak, and come to grips with who is this man who was risen from the grave, who showed he was truthfully what he proclaimed, God in the flesh. That's the divine line between the whole world is what we say about Jesus. Do we recognize who he is and recognize who he proclaimed himself to be? Do we believe that to be true? If we say yes, then we are his people. We are in with God because of Jesus. And any other answer puts you out where you were before. It's a fundamentally dividing line that we have to come to grips with this resurrection reality. It is why here at this church, we seek to proclaim the gospel continually again and again. Because it's the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and lived for us, the life that we could not live. He was righteous before God, before the Father. He fulfilled all the law. He did what we could not do. He went to the death that we deserved. He took our sin upon him. We believe this good news that he has done everything necessary for salvation. That all that is left required from us is to believe in him. All that is left for us is to say, yes, this is true. This is Jesus, the Lord of the universe. God in the flesh who came down for us. My mic got stuck on my coat. I'm not wearing a coat. My, my shirt is a word. This reality changes the world. And it changes everyone as they come face to face with who this is. But it raises a bigger question when you realize Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus rose from the grave, vindicating everything he says. And so it says, you know, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And he makes this statement that he is Lord. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He was saying, I am God. I am the Lord. The people must submit to me. You can imagine this great conflict right there that he generates in people's lives when he says he is the Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That when you think about the, the, these same apostles who went out, church history records how many of them came into conflict with the ruling uh, uh, dynasty at the time, the Romans, which their motto was Caesar is Lord. And But they, one of the first early, early Christian creeds was Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He is the master of, of my life. And so you can see how this sets up right there, this conflict that would grow within the early church, that these, church, uh, these early Christians believed this to be true, that Jesus is Lord. And as they went out, as they proclaimed this, as they brought the good news to many more people, they came into conflict with the ruling authorities that Caesar is Lord. It's just church history. We don't know if it's actually true. But Philip, one of the disciples, goes out and he goes to Caesarea, a city named for Caesar, who had a gate, a gate that by walking under this gate, you were saying, I proclaim Caesar as Lord. And he knew, I can't do that. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so what did he do? He chose to lead his family around the gate. Every time he came in the city, he walked around the gate and would not walk through it because that proclaimed to people, you believe Caesar is Lord. And because of that, they said him and his family were executed. They were crucified for doing this. He knew this was true, that you cannot proclaim both Caesar to be Lord and Jesus to be Lord. And so he followed what he knew to be true, that, that, that Jesus is Lord. And he followed him. And you see accounts after accounts, church history records how these 11 disciples, all of them died and probably died pretty early as they gave their, faith, their life for Christ, as they proclaimed this reality, as they bowed before Jesus and knew this to be true, that Jesus is Lord. John maybe got off, got off easy. He lived to an old age, but he was kind of tarred and feathered, exiled to an island and had some crazy dreams. But they all gave their life for this fact. That Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And they knew that be true. And they bowed to him and they submitted to him. And when you read the book of Acts, what do we see? This to be true again and again. That they knew this reality and they were willing to die for this reality. That Jesus is Lord. And when you think about Christians nowadays, we have to come to grips with this as well. It's so easy to look at Jesus and say, oh, I'll take that salvation. I'll take that grace. It's wonderful. It's so easy to look at Jesus and say, I'll take all those blessings you're going to pour out me. I'll take God's love. That's great. But it takes a different picture when you realize he also demands worship. He also demands obedience. He demands us to recognize he is Lord and no one else is Lord over your life. He demands us to be his. He demands us to die to ourselves. That when our wants, our desires come into conflict with what God has commanded us to do, what Christ has commanded us to do, we willfully submit and bow before that and follow his ways. That we're called 
to follow. We're called to actually view Jesus as our Lord and follow him no matter what. Right there is the crux of discipleship. Are we still going to wrestle with God and say, I am the Lord of my life and I'll follow and do what I want. I'll follow the God on my stomach. I'll live how I want. I can do what I want because, hey, I'm saved by grace, right? Or we actually realize the truth of it. If we believe in who Jesus is, he commands us to bow before him, submit before him, and follow his ways. To love as he loved. To give as he give, gave. To proclaim his truth to all of the world. That is what it means to follow him that we believe that he is Lord and we act accordingly. That's why that phrase, that fully devoted followers phrase is in our mission statement is that we actually believe in who Christ is and we're fully devoted to him. We can't do that perfectly. There'll always be that battle. We'll always stumble and stuff. But that's why the church exists is that we walk together and keep people from stumbling too far away from the truth that we're supposed to follow him. That he is Lord. But he's not just Lord. He also gives us a command or a commission. As he says here, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are given this command or commission to go make disciples of all the nations. And how do we do that? We have to be active with our faith. We have to be active living our faith. We also have to be active in proclaiming our faith to anyone who have, has ears. And there's two parts to this making disciples. We baptize them means we talk about who Christ is. We share the truth of God's word. We convince them to the best of our abilities and trust the Holy Spirit is at work to bring them to realize Jesus is Lord and Messiah and, 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 and Savior we bring them to realize that we try our best to present that truth, and they believe that to be truth, and so we baptize them. And then right alongside with that, we teach them. We grow people up in their faith. We help them understand how the Bible works and how we, they're supposed to read it and how they're supposed to get in their life. We help them understand how they apply the Bible to their life as they walk through life. Belief, baptized in teaching, belief in discipleship, they go hand in hand, and this is the mission of the church. We proclaim the truth, and we help people respond to that truth and follow Christ. When you read the book of Acts, what do you see? You see the early church on the move. Why? Because they heard this command, they knew this command, and they had to fulfill it. And so, boy, did they go. Not everyone went, but they sent out missionaries again and again to go and proclaim this truth. Some people lived in the early church just to support the early church and to send out missionaries. Some missionaries were, were some early church members were missionaries sent out to proclaim this truth in other, other settings, other cities. But this church was on the move. They knew the truth of this mission and they were seeking to fulfill it, to go and proclaim who Christ was throughout the whole earth. And it's the same mission for the church nowadays, that we're called to do this exact same thing, to proclaim Christ throughout this earth, to proclaim him, 
to let people know their truth, to help people grow in that truth. And we do that both, both personally and corporately. We do that personally is that we as Christians should be mindful of this responsibility, proclaiming the truth of who God is to people. We do it corporately as we hopefully can gather together, pool our resources, and send out missionaries, send out people to proclaim that truth across the globe, grow up people in other countries so that they can proclaim it through their own people. We do this because we see this command and this commission, not just for the disciples, these 11 who saw Jesus. We see them, see these commands for the church itself. This is the mission of the church, that we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Everything we do should in some way be in, now I'm struggling with words, should be connected in some way to that mission. That we're not just a good social club that comes and hangs out. That's not what small groups are. What we are are people who come together in people's homes, who read the Bible together, who pray together, who, who live life together to help grow each other towards Christ. We don't just give food to people who need food just because it makes us feel good or they need it. No, we do it because we're commanded to proclaim it to people, that we actually have people here who have now attended our church. Why? Because they received food from our church. And now they can be part of our community and know the truth of who God is and grow with us. That everything we do is based on this mission that we seek to proclaim Christ. Savior and Lord. Everything we do should be supporting that mission. So corporately as a church, River Valley Community Church, how do we do that? One of the biggest ways in which we do that is that we teach the word. That we open up the Bible every Sunday morning and we read and we are taught it and we sit under it and we let the word transform us. We let the word encourage us. We let the word convict us. We let the word push us out of our comfort zone. We let the word show us on how we respond to God. We teach the word. You have my full authority, if I have any in your life, with the words not taught on a Sunday morning you can stand up and cry out, Ichabog, the glory of the Lord has departed. Because that's what's happened. We teach the word. We don't teach people's opinions. We don't teach what's going on in the world and looking around there and being guided by that. That might influence how we talk about how we apply the word, but we stand on the word and we teach it. That's why when we do series, what are the series? They're based on books of the Bible because it's the most easiest thing to do, saves me a whole lot of time, is we pick a book of the Bible and we start walking through it. And we trust that God is big enough that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in our lives, that God's word actually applies to us and what we're going through for, going through, and we teach the word. As teaching the word, here we're training up the congregation. We're seeking to train up everyone who calls River Valley home, train them up in the ways of God, train them up in the word of God, so that they're ready and prepared to give that reason to those people who ask why they have hope in this hopeless world. We're seeking to make sure everyone who comes here knows the word of God. That the church operates 
and functions to be a light in this community. As homes pop up all around us, we can be a light on a hilltop that people can know, hey, I can stop in at that church and I can be loved, welcome, and I'll hear God through his word. But we're not just a light, we're also a sending church. That we want to be out in our community. We want to be walking these neighborhoods, praying for these new homes, praying for these new people who have who moved here or have been transplanted from somewhere else in town. And we're praying for those people. We want to be doing these things. And how do we do those? Well, we I mentioned we walk the neighborhoods and pray for them. Lane has helped kind of keep this in the forefront, uh, offering every now and then that we gather together on a Saturday and we walk through some neighborhoods and we pray for people and we invite them to church. It might not be your cup of tea. Granted, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> but how important it is that we are a going church. We're not, con- we're not content to sit here and just let people wander in, but actually we go and talk to them and pray for them and show that actually we care for them. And if you're intimidated, don't worry. 99% of people don't answer the door. Makes it a lot easier. So you just leave a little thing and you walk on. But those people who don't answer the door, great conversations can be had. People who actually are interested or people who have needs and want to talk. Or at the very least, people you can be praying for as you go about your day. That we want to be a church that actually is sending more missionaries or involved in sending missionary trips. We support people that's on the wall out there, but we want to be doing more of that. Actually, we want to have the resources to do that more. We would love to actually be sending, get back on sending short-term missionary trips during the summer or when we can do that. We want to be keeping that in the forefront and be remembering that and striving to do that. But it takes the community being interested and passionate and being available to do that. And ultimately, we want to be a church that plants other churches. The question is, what happens when this room gets too small? What happens if these, all these chairs are packed out and we have to switch, and we no longer can have our kids in there. They have to do the full-time back there, and so do some adults have to do the full-time back there with them. What happens? We plant another church. When we are full, when this assembly is full, we say, let's plant another church in a community around us that can be a church that preaches the word to people in that community, which means we send some of those people filling the, the chairs out to do so. It means we willfully say we're going to support another church to do its thing. Not another satellite campus of our church. No, another church to proclaim the gospel, to serve people in the community in which it is. That we want to be a sending church. That's how This church fulfills this mission as we proclaim the word, we train people, and we want to give everyone who calls River Valley home opportunities to be part of this mission. Well, then how do each one of us fulfill this mission? Always, it's the same way as we do corporately. You should be, every one of us, students of the word. That we let the word of God dwell in us richly. That we make it our job, our practice to read the Bible, to seek to understand it, to know who God is, to know who Jesus is, and to know what he's called us to. 
Why do we do that? Because when we do that, we are now prepared and ready that when you go to your coworker or you're just living life with your neighbor and people ask you, what is different about you? That implies that you know the word of God and you have the word of God change you so there is something different about you. But when they ask you, why do you have hope in this hopeless world? You can turn around and say, because I know who Jesus is. And they can expand upon that, actually tell them who Jesus is, that you can actually walk them through the story of the Bible, that there is a great and mighty God, sovereign over all. He created all. All that he created was his, and he set up man to be his viceroy upon his earth. He gave man dominion over the earth. He gave man the the responsibility to work this garden, keep it, to actually expand this temple garden across the whole world so that the whole world would be worshiping God. But man went his own way. They have straight away. They rebelled against righteous God. They spat in his face and did their own thing. And so because of that rebellion, sin has entered the world, has fractured the whole world. Not just man and human relationship, but the whole world itself is fractured because of sin. And because of that, God responds by sending Christ, a Savior, who reconciles broken man back with a holy God, brings us back so we're no longer broken. We're restored to who we were supposed to be. We're restored to that faithful family of God that we were made to be part of from the very beginning. And we we lay out that simple truth, and then we ask that simple question, do you believe this? And we ask for a response. That if we know the word of God, we can do a simple gospel presentation of God, man, Christ in response, and people can know who Christ is. That we look for those opportunities. Each one of us should be open, living life with eyes wide open, looking for the opportunities to share the truth of who Christ is. And then, We participate in the church. Us on our own, living life on our own, are singled out lone ranger Christians. It can get a little scary out there. You can get some stuff you don't know how to answer. You you don't feel supported. But when we gather, when we work together, we're the community of God. We are the church. And we can work together, and we can, you, by you participating in the church, you are trained and prepared, and you have friends you can go with to proclaim the gospel. I would argue that in our day and age, participation in the church is some of the most neglected thought of the Christian life. That is, when Christians nowadays say, think about their faith. They immediately take it personal, they make it intimate, and they say, this is me. And they forget that you're called to be part of a body. They forget that you are part of the universal body, but to express that universal belonging with the people of Christ, you should be part of a particular local body where people know you, they love you, they support you, and you can help minister to them. You can help grow the church and what it does. I was actually, I came across this, uh, this, uh, this blog post by Tim Challies. If you don't know who Tim Challies is, he's a Canadian Christian blogger. Don't hold that against him, he's Canadian. Uh, but he wrote a blog post about 32 random thoughts about the local church. I'm not going to read all 32. But I found some I thought were 
good application points for how do we personally apply the truth of admission. So number one was, he says, you are a, contribu- a, a contributor to your church's strengths and weaknesses. Your giftedness makes your church stronger, and your sins and weakness make it weaker. Whenever you are tempted to grumble about your church, you need to be, remember that even if, uh, if you can be part of a solution, you are also part of the problems. You be humble. Number two is, it's a cliche that Sunday morning begins on Saturday evening. You experience, your experience of church will be much different if you stay up late watching movies you shouldn't be watching versus if you go to bed at a reasonable time after refraining from sinful behavior. If you want to get the greatest benefit from the worship services, you need to plan ahead. Every week I put out what passage we are going to be studying that Sunday. One easy way to plan ahead is actually read that passage and you prepare your heart and mind for Sunday morning. Make it a habit to pray through the membership directory. We don't have one. Comments later. You cannot help but come to love people as you pray for them. It's also a great way to get to know names and faces. And so we don't, we've, it's a long story, I'm not going to go into it. But chances are we might have a membership directory soon. But anyways, take that principle and apply it to the fact that we can pray for people you know. Pray for your small group. Pray for people you're together in with ministry. Pray with the people you know. But actually get in your mind that you can pray for the church. This is the one that I will actually just, I, I chose all of these just because I'm leaning up to this one right here. One unheralded ministry in the church is the ministry of arriving early. In many churches, it's often guests who arrive first and they can feel awkward if they are alone. Those who get here there early have the opportunity to serve in welcoming newcomers, engaging in them in conversation. Conversely, those who continually show up late miss out on many opportunities to serve others. I'm not going to name any names. Another ministry that's unheralded is the ministry of singing loud. Our culture doesn't really know what to do with singing, and few people have been trained to sing well and confidently. That's me. If you have a good voice and know how to use it, you can bless the people around you by singing out your praises in a loud voice as is appropriate. There's a philosophy here that Ty and Keely and the rest of the worship team, they are instruments and helping us sing. That they are serving the congregation to sing. Congregational singing is what we want to be about. As we lift our voices together, good and bad, we sing and make a joyful noise at the very least to our Lord. And it's so important that we can do that together. It aligns us. It, 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 it is, is a balm to our soul. That some songs we're going to sing louder because we know them better. We just sang one of my favorite worship songs, Come Down a Fount this morning, and I can sing that loud. Not good, but I can sing that loud. Um, and that's why I sit up front, is because the only people who have to hear me are the band, and they have things in the air, so they can't hear me. And so it's good. But you sing loud. You, it, 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 you're singing to yourself. You're reminding yourself of these great truths. You're singing so the people around you hear it and are encouraged. As they're like, hey, I don't just believe this by myself. They believe it too. Enough so that they're willing to sing loud in a, in a community setting. We sing loud with each other. Church membership matters. It's a great privilege and a great responsibility of the Christian to be formally connected to a particular local church. 
We seek to practice meaningful membership here, that if you're a member of this church, we know we can count on you. We know that you're in. You know, we know that you're united with us on our statement of faith and our mission of the church. And so we can, we, we're connected in that way, and we want people to be connected in that way as we are on mission together. I'm going to stop there. I won't read the rest because, but you get the point. If you're interested in, in the rest of the how 20-something more uh, thoughts, you can check them out. Just type in Chim Chowley's and, you're, and it'll be the first thing that comes up. But he's a great uh, bl- Christian blogger that makes you think and points those things. But that's just some ways in which each one of us individually can apply this truth of Matthew 28 that we're called, commissioned, commanded to go and make disciples wherever we can find them. We're called to share the faith with people so they can be baptized. We're called to share the faith with people so that they can be taught the truth of who Jesus is and grow up in his ways. This is the mission of the church. And we don't do it from our own strength. For look at how this passage ends. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That right after Jesus gives his command, go, take the world, he says, I'm right there with you. It's a great promise that our Lord does not just give us command and say, figure it out. He gives us a command and he's right there beside us, empowering us, giving us the courage, giving us the words to say, letting us be his mouthpiece on this world that he's given us a job, a task, that the church as a whole is to take the world by storm, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us because we preach the truth, that we take the light of the world out into a dark world and the darkness cannot stand against it because lies and deception cannot stand against the truth. And this is the command and the mission of the church is that we do this personally and corporately. The church moves forward with Christ, with us, empowering us, leading the way. This is what we strive for in everything we do. The mission of River Valley Community Church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer as a church, we can stay on mission. We can move forward together. We can be encouraged that we've been given this great task by God. And when we do it not alone, not just, we don't trust other people to do it in church. No, we do it together, united in our faith as we serve Christ our Lord. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have given us a mission, a task, that you've called us to respond, and I pray for this church to respond. I pray that we as individuals can respond and make it our, our goal to proclaim the truth to those who need to hear the truth. I pray that we as a church can respond as we work together in all that we do to proclaim the truth of who you are. That we do it with love, we do it with winsomeness, we do it with compassion, but we also do it with conviction. We know the truth and we have to declare it. Lord, I pray that we can be a church that stands on your word, that in all we do, that all we proclaim, 
But all we seek to teach can be founded and come from the word that you've given us. Lord, let us be your people. Let us be on mission. Let us seek and follow you in all that we do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Feel free to stand with us and worship again.